0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. Praise God. Have you had this experience many times? Have you found that when you perceive him, that all the other wants are gone, he shuts off all the vacuums of the soul? You literally, you say, Lord, just put me underneath a bridge with a Bible. I love you, I'll be happy. You just have this complete fulfillment on the inside of you. It's like, Lord, I love everybody that you've given to me, and I love all the things you've given to me. But even if you take them all away, my heart still dances with you. And I enjoy you because you're greater than all of these things. So she's found that his presence has freed her from the need to have anything else. I'm telling you that this right here is holiness itself. This right here is, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. This is that holiness that is addicted to the maximum pleasure of life, which is God himself. Which the heart begins to say, Lord, I am freed from that always pressing need to have other things. I remember Ravenhill once said, the, the more you reach for things on the outside, the more you point to your bankruptcy on the inside. So when we, when we find Christ as what Mary's seeing, then we see that he's the only thing we ever really wanted in the first place. I mean, have you ever been there and there's something that you want and you ask the Lord for it, but even while you're there, all of a sudden, you're just like, Lord, even if it, even, I mean, yeah, I would like to have that, but even if I don't, I have you and I'm just happy. I find that behind all desires, it's like the Lord brings you to the end of yourself always in your life, you go through different seasons and he brings you to the end of yourself and then he says, I have something I wanna show you and then it's just me, he says. I want to show you something. I have something precious to show you. You know what it is? It's me. (laughs) And they said, tomorrow, I want to show you something else very special. It's me. (laughs) Praise God. So she drew near, as Martha Kilpatrick wrote, she drew near, close enough to hear, if nothing else, just his breathing. Oh, this is what prayer is. I mean, think about the whole scene. Mary's in her house. At some point, Jesus comes into the door, right? I mean, is that too much to assume at some point he got into the house so as soon as he comes into the house at another point she recognizes that he's there that's number one number two at another point she goes towards him and number three she bows before him because she's sitting at his feet so these three things happen at some point in the story she recognizes him she comes to him and she kneels before him giving him all her attention that is an image of what prayer actually is As a matter of fact, in the very next verse, after we see this whole beautiful discourse, the disciples ask him, teach us to pray. (laughs) I don't think that's a coincidence. I feel like just before teaching us to pray, we saw an image of it in Mary, recognizing his presence, coming to him and bowing before him and fixing her attention upon him. You know, prayer is much more about what he says to you than what you say to him. When you leave prayer, as Witness Lee wrote, when you leave prayer, say not, What have I said to God, but what has God said to me? There's just something about a fixed, sustained setting of our eyes upon Him that accomplishes more in the soul than all the words in the world could ever accomplish. Have you ever noticed this about the Lord? That when you get into His presence, sometimes all He wants to do is just hold you. Have you noticed this? Have you ever heard the Lord in prayer, when you get in there, the Lord says, shh, 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 just shh, relax, and let me just hold you. I find that layers of activity get ripped off of me, and I find the blissful surrender that occurs when Christ has all my attention. When I first got saved, I told my mom, I said, Mom, I've become addicted to the way it feels when I give all my attention to God. Something happens on the inside of the whole of the being when the, when the heart looks at the Lord. It's like everything is, you're, you're now what you were supposed to be. It's like Adam's fall was simply this. He didn't look at God. So we look at Mary who draws near close enough to hear, if nothing else, just his breathing, and we realize that prayer is just watching Jesus blink and breathe. I wonder if you can shift your mind today, if it hasn't been your mentality yet, that this is what prayer is for you for the rest of your life. I've come in here today just to watch you blink and breathe, Lord, that's my, that's my goal, to have you have all my attention and I worship you, praise God. Uh-huh. And so we see her, that she teaches us that none can hear so clear as those who draw near. <laughs> and sometimes I feel like this is the reason why some people have no idea what God's saying in their lives it's because they can't hear him for the clanking of the pots and the pans if you know what i mean martha's in the kitchen banging around in there she can't hear anything he's saying and she's so mad she's probably mad at everybody cuz she doesn't know what god is saying to her well you're clanking <laughs> i remember walter butler the old teacher he's deceased if you can find any of his sermons online, I recommend you listen to all of them. He talks about the manifest presence of God and when he would teach, the manifest presence of the Lord would fall upon the whole, the, the whole people while he's teaching. Kind of like when Peter spoke to them, the Holy Spirit fell upon them before he even finished speaking. Well, Walter Butler said, "You don't get things from God by running, but by sitting." And that's what we're seeing here. See, her what she's describe what she's displaying to us in her treasuring of Christ is that great statement by Mother Bessalia Schlink. you are here what more could I want But that right there that you are here what more could I want that is the expression it's putting into words what holiness is what sanctification is what treasuring of Christ actually is you are here what more could I ask you for Madame Guyon said something similar she said having you I possess everything already and she writes this from prison where she dies but she's happy you think about, think about somebody like David Brainerd, who's got uh, tuberculosis, and he's coughing up pieces of his lungs. His blood is in his mouth constantly. He writes in his journal, I coughed up more blood today than ever. He's just, he's dying slowly, and he writes in his journal, probably with a red grin, he says, an hour with God infinitely excels all the pleasures and delights of this lower world. What is that? That's treasuring Christ. <laughs> or like I said, from Samuel Rutherford, In prison. He didn't write this with his feet up on the balcony with a margarita in his hand. He was in prison when he writes this. He says, This, he says, If you need more rest, just lean more. (laughs) If you need more rest, just lean more. Who is this coming up out of the wilderness leaning on her beloved? Praise God. Her identity isn't even recognized anymore. She's been transformed. She's a different thing by a level of dependency of leaning upon her beloved from that place of being alone with him. Praise God. So we see this wonderful image. She's showing us like the fulfillment of what A.W. Tozer wrote in his wonderful book, The Pursuit of God, which to me is one of the greatest books ever written. As a matter of fact, when Samuel Rutherford's letters were read by Charles Spurgeon, he wrote of those letters, he said, this is the nearest thing to inspiration among the writings of men. I would grab that statement and I would apply it to the pursuit of God. To me, it is the nearest thing to inspiration among the writings of men. It's changed my life, I read it every year. But one of the statements he says in the book is this, listen closely, when the eyes of the soul looking out meet the eyes of God looking in, right there, heaven has begun upon the earth. Praise God. Oh, doesn't that make you so happy? My goodness, and another one's coming up in my heart right now. Listen to this one. Charles Spurgeon writes, "Man, listen close. This is incredible. He says, "It is worthwhile to have lived if for nothing else than to have had a half an hour's fellowship with Christ." What's he saying? He's saying my whole life is fulfilled in just a half an hour with Jesus. My whole reason for living is right here in just spending a half hour with Jesus. Wow. This is what Mary is showing us. She's showing us a treasuring of Christ. And Jesus says, look at this woman who treasures me. I'm going to connect her to the spread of my gospel because the vision of me you see in the gospel should create this in you, a treasuring of me. So much so that Jesus can say things like this. Whoever loves father or mother, wife or children more than me is not worthy of me. How can he even say that statement? I mean, I remember the first time I read that, I was like, wow, that's kind of mean but it's because I had no clue who, I, who was talking. Sometimes you forget, you look at the words and you forget the mouth they came out of. This is the one who hangs the earth on nothing. This is the one who makes lightning for the rain. The scripture says that he walks in the recesses of the ocean. This one has dropped down in love for me into the restrictions and frailties of a human body, sent here to die what a death that I deserve, he can look at me. And he can say and has the right to say, if anyone loves father or mother more than me, they're not worthy of me. Why, because what he's gonna do and what he has done for you is unmatched. Your your, your parents have never done it for you. Your wife will never do it for you. Your friends can't do it for you. Only he has done this extravagant work and it's matchless in every way. Therefore, he can ask for that kind of love. Not only can he ask for that kind of love because he deserves it, but because he also knows he's the only one that can actually fulfill your soul. (laughs) Praise God. I, I, I said it like this one time in a meeting to help people understand what it means when Jesus says things like, if anyone loves father, or mother, wife, or children more than me, they're not worthy of me. Or if anyone loves love me more than their own life, they're not worthy of me. How can he say that? Well, think about it like this. Pretend I'm single and a girl walks in the back. I see her and I'm like, I'm gonna talk to that girl today. I go over to her, I'm like, listen, I was stunned at the sight of you. I'd give anything to take you to dinner. And she says, well, Okay. We go out to dinner, we start spending time together, then we start spending all our time together, and then one afternoon, a Saturday, we're laying in the grass at a picnic, looking up at, at the clouds, and I lean over to her and I say something like this. I say, I love you, and I, I want to I wanna be with you forever. Will you marry me? And she says to me, well, you know, if you marry me, you're saying goodbye to all the other girls. And then I say, that's exactly what I mean. I want, I want only you forever. That's called marriage. And when Jesus is saying, whoever loves father or mother, wife or children more than me, all he's saying is, will you marry me? Will you put me first above everybody else? If, if, if we can realize that, then we realize it's not a hard statement at all. It's a marriage proposal. To have him and find all in him. It, it breaks the heart with love is what it actually is what it actually does. I, I said one day to a guy, I was like, listen, you may think that this girl is so important to you right now. You got this girlfriend or this, this boyfriend. Listen, let me tell you something. They did not die for you. So they may be wonderful and all that, but they did not die for you. They don't deserve the place of the one who did. Remember that old Keith Green? I'd rather be found dead than to love her more than the one who saved my soul. <laughs> he was always extreme. But he, <laughs> he had this like way about him. But I say that to say there's this, this treasuring of, I mean, imagine if I, if I if, okay, pretend, you, you pretend you're a girl and your husband, you're about to be husband, your fiance looks at you and he says this, you know, I love you and I want to marry you, but I'm never going to love you as much as my mom. <laughs> Can you imagine what that girl would be like? She'd be like, oh, well, we got to deal with this before we go any further, <laughs> right? Because she's going to be number one or she's not at all. Right? Any girl that's not saying, I want to be number one above everybody else, if, that's, if that girl isn't like, then she's not ready for marriage. And any guy that can't say, I'm gonna put you above everybody else, he's not ready for marriage. Are you following me? And that's all Jesus is saying, is he's saying if you love your mommy more than me, then we can't get married. This is the kind of love that I want from you. I want to marry you for the endless ages where we have in one another all that we need. Are you following what I'm saying? I got off, and I don't know why I went off on all that, but here's the reality, (laughs) is that this treasuring of Christ, Jesus calls this treasuring, look at this, he calls it the good part, which shows us there's many parts in Christianity. Many parts, but this one's the good one. (laughs) And it says the good part that is indestructible, it's undiminishable, it's untouchable, and it's eternal, it lasts forever. When you spend time with God, you touch eternity. You literally begin to partake in the world to come. Your spending time with God is gazing through a window and receiving the breezes from the coming age. When you spend time with God, you slip out of time and into eternity, if you will, and experience the wonders of what is coming. You say, Eric, where are you getting that from? The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is a down payment, a deposit of things coming. In other words, your exchange with the Spirit is tasting a foretaste of glory divine. It's the foretaste of the coming glory. That's why when we look at spending time with Jesus, it's the highest priority. You're tasting the world to come. Praise God. And let me just tell you this too. If, if, If we want to expect, desire, and long for the return of the Lord, the coming age, It will be in exact proportion to your tasting of it now. But you won't have a longing for the world to come if you're not tasting it now. Are you following me? If you you don't taste it now, then you won't want it later. (laughs) It's that taste of the world to come and communion with God that makes you say, oh, come, my beloved. I long for you. The spirit and the bride say, come, Lord God which shows that the bridal paradigm is this. You're better than anything that I could ever have here. Winning the lottery and having all the friends in the world, it doesn't matter what, It's all pales in comparison to being with you. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Come quickly, Lord. Come quickly. There's a Maranatha in the blood of those who treasure Christ. Come, Lord. Come quickly, Lord. Come. There's There's a strong statement written by John Owen. I would memorize this one if I was you. It, he says, if you don't enjoy looking at Jesus now, you will not enjoy seeing him when he comes. <laughs> he says, if Christ is not a heaven for you now, he shall not be hereafter. Are you following what, what he's trying to say? Ooh, the taste, the treasuring of this man, Christ Jesus. Praise God. I just there's so much more to touch on. Is it all right if I keep going just for a couple more minutes? Yeah. Is it all right? Are you guys enjoying this? Yes. Talk, I mean, what else is there to talk about? Yes. Treasuring Jesus, my goodness. So this can't be taken away. Jesus calls this this that one thing needed. Isn't that interesting that he said? What a what a statement. It's not like this is not one of his hyperboles. He, he does speak in exaggerated statements to emphasize points, like if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He's speaking in hyperbole, an exaggerated statement to emphasize a point, don't do this. Are you following? Me? This is not one of them. Are you following? Me? When he says one thing needed, this is not that. These actually means these exact words. This is the one thing needed, the one thing that is the absolute necessity for life. And you wonder why, and we've talked about it already, but it actually shifts your value system. Do you notice that? When you taste of the Lord, when you read the scriptures, your value system shifts. When I say value system, I mean what you see to be important and what you see not to be important. It's like, I've had so many times, and I know we could go around the room and everybody could share some of these, but I've had times where I'm not doing anything wrong, but I have these desires to do other things, and I'm not saying we don't have hobbies, the Lord will do your hobbies with you. I'm not saying that, so don't feel condemned or anything like that. But there is this, this shift that happens when I start spending time in his presence and I slip in and I'm like, oh boy, I'm in. And there's nothing else on the planet I'd rather be doing than just this. Everything else pales in, you, I forgot what I even wanted to do before. Are you following what I'm saying? And I'm, I'm not saying, again, don't be condemned if you play golf or something like that. Don't, it's just the Lord is good, and he, will, he, lo, he enjoys you enjoying life. Did you know the scripture says that He gives you richly all things to enjoy? He gives you richly all things to enjoy. So I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't enjoy life. <laughs> I'm saying that in your enjoyment of life, enter into times of the highest enjoyment of life. And try somehow some way to bring the highest enjoyment of life into all the enjoyments of life. They become better. You follow me? Okay, so on the other hand, and I'll just touch on Martha, we'll be done, okay? Because it's good to contrast them because the Bible does. On the other hand, in all the times that Mary's mentioned, she's mentioned at his feet. That's treasuring Christ. Every time Martha's mentioned, she's never once mentioned at his feet, not even once. Martha was too busy for the bliss and enjoyment that Mary experienced. Her faith and her relationship with Christ are tied up in what she does. How many know that God is far more interested in your being than your doing? He wants you to become something so that what you do is a spontaneous outflow from what you actually are instead of trying to make yourself from the outside look like something you're not on the inside. Does that make sense? Okay. So uh, it's, it's, it's easy for us to hide behind activity as Christians. We can hide behind uh, miracles or numbers or success or responsibilities or wisdom or, or service. We can hide behind all these things. Some men hide behind hide their Bibles from God by theologically trying to pick God apart. I remember the old statement too. It says that uh, you can eclipse the God of the word with the word of God. Meaning, you run to the text for the text and not as a means to find him. You know, Jesus talks about this in John five thirty nine. He says, you search the scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. But you're, you're missing the point. They testify of me, but you're unwilling to come to me. That you might have life. So the scriptures are a means to come to the Lord and receive life. The scriptures are, uh, let me just say it like this. A good way to look at it would be the scriptures are not the word of God. The word of God is a man and the scriptures are the means by which the word of God is received. Does that make sense to you? It's like the scriptures are the straw and the, the Pepsi is the word of God. So the word of God is a human being and the letters are the means by which you can drink of the human being, Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to you? so that the scriptures themselves are written, Jesus lives, but through what's written, you can receive what lives. But you can stop at what's written and never get to what lives. Just ask different theologians that aren't even born again and they know the Bible better than all of us. Have you ever evangelized? And you met a guy on the street who's putting you to shame with the scriptures? It's happened to me many times. I'm just embarrassed, you know, and then I'm confused. And there's just no life whatsoever in it, you know what I mean? And then you just kind of walk away, and you don't really know what to say. Part of you wants to say Jesus loves you. The other part says just, just go ahead and go to hell. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm getting off, guys. I'm so sorry. Um, Martha Kilpatrick wrote this. She said, activity can mask an empty soul and give a fake costume of nobility. And that's what happens sometimes. You know, if you've ever read, have you ever watched the movie, um, uh, What's the hills are alive, with the sound of music. <laughs> In the sound of music, there's a statement that says, haste gives the impression of importance. So some people just want to be busy, 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 because it makes them feel like they're actually important. I think uh, Bill Johnson was the one who said, busyness can, uh, can often be artificial significance. So there's this, this as Corey ten Boom would say, a barrenness of a busy life where it looks like you're doing so much, but you're really just running on a treadmill. See, one spontaneous act that flows from the divine life on the inside of you, you will accomplish far more than years of the legs of man. How many know God can accomplish more in five seconds than you can in 500 years? All right, I remember Teresa of Avila said, one encounter with God is worth a million years of exhaustive theology. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't study the Bible. We want heat and light. We want light to be able to see. That's why we read the scriptures. But we want heat and we want to feel the scriptures as well. We want both of these. We need them both. That's what the fire of God is. It's light and heat. So we don't want to pin theology against experience. But theology should lead to experience. As Dr. Gordon Fee said, the end of all theology is doxology. <laughs> this is where you, when you're getting, when you're really in theology the way you should, it should lead you to Worship praise God should it should cause spontaneous outbursts of worship when you really see God so this uh this contrast we see here one of them is looking at him and the other one is not looking one of them is listening the other one's not listening one of them is talking the other one is is silent one of them is at rest the other one is not at rest one of them talks about other people the other one is silent And this is what we see Mary shows us. Those who treasure Christ, they only care about his opinion of them. As a matter of fact, as her sister blabs about her, she doesn't even realize she's even being persecuted because she's preoccupied. (laughs) I wonder if there's such a preoccupation for us. you would be so preoccupied with God that you're not even recognizing the things that are going on around you. Let's just say, let's just take it even further. Have you ever read Psalm 119? How often has David said really strange statements like this? They seek my life, but I love your word. (laughs) He's almost like a psycho person, which just means he's not going to deny that something's going on, but he's just saying it's not what has my attention. You have, your words are more precious to me than 10,000 pieces of silver. Yeah, they're throwing spears at me. Oh, but you're more precious. You know, I'm not going to deny things are going on, but I'm not going to give them my attention. I'm preoccupied with God Christianity should be an endless preoccupation with God himself and that's what we see uh, Ma- Mary is showing us and Martha is not see Martha chose occupation for the Lord over preoccupation with the Lord she wanted to feed him more than feed on him she, d- she thought more of her service for the Lord than her ministry unto the Lord are you seeing what's happening she preferred more to be around him than to look at him you know, a lot of us find comfort in just looking in God's direction instead of looking at God. You notice that? Sometimes our, our praying is trying to get God to look at something instead of just looking at God. That's Martha's communication with the Lord. It's look at Mary, Lord. <laughs> you see, she's get, trying to get the Lord to look at something. Lord, look at Mary. Tell her to help me. Mary's not doing that. Mary's not talking to the Lord about someone else. Mary's enamored, She's taken, she's fixed, she's transfixed upon him. And that's that treasuring that we have. Always remember this, it helps me me all the time, because I I find myself having to remind myself of this more often than I'd like to admit. That to look at other people, to judge other people, is to take your eyes off the Lord first. And I I start judging people, and then I'm like, ugh, I look at the Lord. Because why? To, to, to get my eyes on someone else means I have to first remove them from the Lord. Now, obviously, that needs to be balanced out. There is a righteous judgment and there is leadership and all these kinds of things like that. So just as a, as a general rule, we look at the Lord directly, but sometimes looking at the Lord, the Lord causes us to have to obey in certain ways to do deal with something. So I'm not trying to say that you never have a right to judge. There is righteous judgment. Does that, does that make sense? Okay. So she wanted to feed on him more than to... to uh, have him as her all. Martha tolerated distraction and it robbed her of her attraction. When, when we tolerate these distractions in our lives, the very first thing you start noticing is your desire for the Lord begins to wane. And when you feel that desire for the Lord beginning to wane, you know by this, your preoccupation is gone. You're now, t- you're all now spread thin. As, as Isaiah 57 says, you've wearied yourself with the multiplicity of your own ways. So we, we end up doing this a lot. We get so spread thin and so scattered and we lose that singular, single-mindedness. Do you remember that scripture, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, it says, I fear, Paul writes, I fear. That's interesting, isn't it? The sole legitimate fear of an apostle. I fear that as the serpent beguiled Eve, you too would be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of Jesus Christ. That simplicity and purity are put together for a reason because once it's no longer simple, it's no longer pure. The impurity comes in by your complexities. But simplicity, purity, Him above all. We see Mary is transfixed in simplicity and singularity. Martha is complexity and frustration and bothered and ac- ac- accusative. Doesn't even, listen, she doesn't even recognize the, na- the nature of the Lord. I mean, look at what she's saying. She looks at God Almighty who came to the earth in a human body and she says, do you not care? Who, who is the single most caring thing that ever stepped foot on the planet? Is it not God? It shows me something. That when your eyes are off the Lord, you begin to make up stuff about him that's not even real. You can't even see his character as he really is. You start accusing God of stuff. You're cu- Really? No, remembering who he is and eyes fixed directly uh, upon him, that's that singularity that sees him as he in fact is and says, Lord, I trust you. So... Um, you know, I think, I think right here is a good place. Let's, let's pray. I think we should pray. There's so much more I wanted to touch on, but I think I've covered it enough. Was that okay? You, you feel, uh, do you feel like the Lord is inspiring you to treasure him, to recognize the treasuring of him? So let's just do this together because I want to treasure Christ more. I want to choose his feet again today. So let's just put your, put your hand on your heart with me. And again, the Lord's not listening to our words. He listens to our hearts. But let's just say this together. Say, Jesus, Jesus, I desire today today to clear the way, to to give all my attention up. up. Singularity, Singularity. deliver me from complexities. Deliver me, Lord, from distraction distraction by giving to me grace for a single eye of worship, of treasuring you above everybody and above everything. And may it work its way into everything in my life. Turn my mundane house into a garden of spices with my beloved. Turn all the, 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 the acts of my life into romances with you. In your precious name, amen. Amen. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.